Welcome to Football Hot Boys. I am your hottest boy, AJ Kunze, and I'm joined by a couple guests today. First, uh, owner of an enormous hog, uh, David Petrus, and owner of a plain white t-shirt, T.C. Clark. And, and today, our special guest, uh, fetish porn producer, Damien Woods. Say hello to everyone, Damien. Hello. Woo! So you made a uh, a passing reference on our show a couple weeks ago, and uh, we, David knows you uh through his personal life and uh we're connected and we're happy to have you on the show man yeah i'm glad to be here i think it's technically so, my first uh, podcast oh, oh there we go shit. we are lucky we, we popped, lucky. Yeah, we boy. popped cherry all right there we go <laughs> hell yeah so uh like most football hot boy podcasts i don't think we're going to talk a lot about football because um <laughs> it's my understanding that you're not much into sports is that correct uh that is correct i'd mostly describe myself as an art school loser <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'm a I'm a liberal art school loser, so that's fine. And the rest of us are all military losers, so there you go. Yeah, David always said I, mean, I wouldn't I think, cut it in the military. Yeah, he would. No, you'll be fine. Well, yeah, oh, are you kidding no, you'll me? Be, oh, you'll be fine. You, you are, you'd be running the joint. <laughs> Come on, man. We're just gonna let we're gonna let Officer Kunzi just slip out of that one. Like, are you kidding me? Come on, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was also a police officer that that was sucked and bad, and don't ever do that. Um, I was terrible at it. Anyone who knows me can totally understand why I might have been a bad cop. <laughs> I mean, arguably, is there such a thing as a good one? Oh, <laughs> oh there you go. <laughs> I am much more in my natural element inter- interviewing porn producers and uh, talking about football. So there you go. Perfect. Uh, same. Yeah, same. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I guess to open up, Damien, do you want to kind of explain? You make a very different kind of film than I think a lot of uh, director, writer, than what we watch. Producers, a lot of us watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, kind of describe like the the wheelhouse that you work in. Um, I direct fetish superheroin porn content. Um, best way to describe it is. Imagine you are watching a poorly produced uh, Marvel film and, you know, when you would hope a dick makes a, its presence shown in the film, my films do. Marvel's one wishes. dick away from being a parno. Now, um, I, like, I don't want to cut you off, bro, but, like, I feel like you're, you're underselling yourself. I don't think it's, like, poorly shot. I don't think right, it's low-quality right. like, Marvel shit, like... It, it, it's a higher quality than you give you credit for. Agreed. I I mean, yes, I, I try to attain the highest results you can possibly do on a massively limited budget. Um, but I would say there's a big difference between $300 million budget and, you know, a one-day shoot on a porn set. Yeah, it's Scarlett Johansson. Sure. <laughs> there we go. I mean, if you had Marvel's budget... How would your films change? <laughs> I can't. Im- I can't imagine a world where you find that many people willing to pay for porn. <laughs> That's a fair point. So fair point. it's hard for me to even imagine a scenario with that would even happen. Like if someone gave me three hundred million, I think I'd just keep it. <laughs> like abscound to Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Damien, I, have a, I, have a, I have a quick question. I, I'm not as well versed in superheroes as our other hot boy AJ over here. Are your movies based on actual, super, like most of them on actual superheroes, or are you creating your own characters for the movies? Um, I mean, it's a variety of things. I think initially I made original characters, um, 
but yeah. it, it depends on the season. If you, um, with an audience like mine, if you produce um, too many known characters in a row, you'll get complaints that people are kind of tired of them. And then you'll, you know, go ahead and make an original character. And if you make an original character one too many times, then people will complain that you're not making the well-known characters. Mm, um, okay. I mean, there's no doubt about it that there's, you know, specifically three characters that I feel like sell better than any other film, which would be like Wonder Woman, Batgirl, um, Supergirl. Um, they're kind of like what I would consider the holy trinity of superheroine fetish content. Um, you know, significantly higher sales than any other film that, you know, you could produce. Um, I love making original characters, but sometimes if you want to pay the bills, you have to stick with one of those three. Can, can you do me a favor? Can you elaborate more on the fetish aspect? Because I, I don't necessarily feel like watching a chick dress up in a superhero costume is necessarily like a fetish. But there's more to like the movies that you do and like the message that you portray, correct? Uh, yes. Um, let me try to answer that in a constructive way. Um, I would say that it just being super heroin is a fetish. Um, mm, okay. You know, I would say the mass majority of my audience would prefer that the actress stay in costume for the duration of the film, if not the totality of it. You know, maybe some nudity revealed you know by costume destruction or something of that nature but um it is a fetish in the sense that um most of me and my audience aren't getting off if there's not a costume involved um okay okay now granted with anything you know fetish based there's so many subcategories of a plethora of fetishes that you can integrate in superheroine i feel like on top of the costume there's a general power dynamic situation created by them being superheroes that is a fetish playground in of itself. Whether that's like consent, non-consent, and or, um, you know, there's a like a subgroup of people who like to see women in power just beating up guys for the duration of a film or things of that nature. Um, but you can almost kind of like play, I don't know, like... A, like a bingo card of fetishes in any film. I think where you have to be careful is um, balancing those fetishes in a way that feels natural because it if it just feels like you're tacking in fetishes into a film for the sake of them being there, you'll lose your audience. It's super interesting, man, because if I didn't get this conversation with you or, you know, because, like, porn's not generally talked about, you know, like, you don't just go out in public and talk about porn. So, it's just kind of interesting to see that other people digest porn in a different way than my caveman brain. Because all it takes for me is just a woman getting piped out, and I'm like, all right. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're there, guys. So, so it is interesting to see that there's, like, other, you know, ways to, I guess, enjoy that media. I mean, the, I think the real irony is um, I myself... I'm not a massive consumer of porn. So okay. like if, when it comes to me in my private life and how I've experienced my sexuality throughout my life, um, I prefer films. I prefer, you know, um, things that are more PG 13 in nature. I, I generally have shied away from pornography in my personal life, um, because I don't find a lot appetizing or interesting about it. Um, 
So granted, I am a porn director, and I have been now for over 10 years, roughly, maybe 12 to 13. Um, but naturally, I'm actually not a consumer of porn. Interesting. It, that, does that kind of give you, do you think, a more uh, or clinical view of when you're making it? Like you can kind of see it with maybe a clearer, more distant mind than someone who's like, yeah, no, I definitely zoom in on the balls there. Yeah, that's, you know, like it's like you're able to like a lot, you know, just look at it more like a film or a piece that you're trying to create as opposed to, like I said, that. It can definitely make me a novice. There's been plenty of porn sets I've been on. Mm. Um, where there's things that everyone seems to know that I'm really out of the box about. Um, you know, like the whole um, blowjob into massive gaggings uh, genre that's kind of popped up. It, like, didn't... I just... One day it was kind of there, and it snuck up on me, and I kind of had no awareness of how extreme that got, because I saw some content online where people are, like, straight up putting fake fluid in their in their stomach to purposely vomit like just extreme amounts of um what i would best describe as like simulated cum um so and, and there's been a lot of ways where um that's a I don't know. for me dog <laughs> yeah, <there's laughs> I, I think that's that's over three on this podcast just by looking at the video chat right now <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's a lot of tropes in pornography that sometimes I'm completely outside of. And, um, sometimes when you just get a couple of comments from customers about things they like to see and you see a trend and, um, and you kind of have to do some more research sometimes, but, um, but I don't remember your question anymore. That, that is okay. <laughs> that is okay. Yeah. yeah that's Honestly, fine. Uh, I don't either. <laughs> it, it, it was do you think you not being a fan of porn gives you a more uh clearer vision when creating it and, you, and you're less bound by i guess i guess you did kind of answer that because like you're less bound by the language i guess of the art form because you are able to see it kind of from the outside so yeah i, I think you did answer that one yeah i, I do think there is an inherent va uh, advantage i have when it comes to my community which would be people who consume super heroin pornography um which is that I think that most of us have our sexualities have been informed by multimedia, right? Like television shows of, mm -hmm. you know, Wonder Woman or Batman and, or, you know, there's probably a large community soon. That's going to be a lot of children that grew up with the MCU films that are going to be consuming, you know, extreme amounts of porn in the near future. And in that sense, I think my advantage is that, um, my group of people are kind of born in television multimedia. So when I'm more heavily influenced by what happens in filmmaking, um, I feel like I can appeal more to my general consumer base of the kind of content I make. Um, cause I don't know that my audience is people ju who just love porn and this is just a part of the porn that they like. I think my okay. main customer base is people who are fetishist, who are born loving superheroine content. Um, and you know, me making something closer to what they see on TV probably isn't a massive advantage. So I'm trying to get an idea of what it is that they, or what they latch onto, or I mean, why they give you money, like what they want. So are they more inclined to be when they're, when they're messaging you for like what they want in future releases? Is it more story based? Is it more reveal based? Like what is the, usually the the biggest like 
additions that they like to see, like what what they're there for. It's hard to speak for why the audience buys films. Like I can make a lot of assumptions, but I think I can mostly bring it back to my personal experience, which is that I think when I was like 15 or 16, I had kind of gotten uh, a general sense that the kind of content I desired might be online. So, you know, couple google searches later i found the origins of the genre i work in um back then there was like only maybe two or three major producers even making this kind of content it was relatively small pool and i bought content and i think the reason i did initially was because um it didn't exist on the internet at large so there's these things that you know I had fantasized about my whole life reading comic books and watching television. So when I was, you know, closer to an age where my sexuality had taken over right now, when I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old, um, seeking out that content, it's not like it was widely available because back then there wasn't even really streaming sites, you know, I'm talking like pre YouTube. Um, so I purchased the content cause of the lack of availability. I think today the lack of availability has changed because there's so many illegal streaming sites that people like to post content to illegally. And, you know, um, there's, it's hard to, you know, protect your content, but it's also really easy to access stolen content online. Um, so I don't know. I think there maybe is a kinship with the consumer base about wanting to support creators who, make the kind of content they like and or, um, you know, wanting to um, get something as fast as possible because, you know, there's a dopamine rush when it comes to, like, seeing the kind of content you want that maybe you've waited for. Um, But at this point, it's kind of like, you know, um, the quality every year from all the people that produce the kind of content I do gets better and better. Um, you know, there's always going to be new talent in pornography. So, you know, there's always fresh faces and that in of itself can be exciting. Um, but I do think that over time it's become harder to, um, get sales from customers. I feel like the customers have become more picky as their options have become more widely available. Um, you know. 10 years ago, you could only find a handful of people doing this as of today, that number grows, you know, and you see smaller producers come and go where somebody steps into the genre. It doesn't work out the way they thought it was going to, and then they walk away, but there's just more availability and options and the kinds of finishes that are offered and the actresses that are available. Um, so I kind of feel like people are a little bit more, um, mindful now of how they spend money because you know, a film that I make might only appeal to one third of my audience and that one third that it appeals to, they might not all buy it. Um, because I don't know, maybe it just didn't excite them enough to have that like immediate rush to purchase. Um, but it's hard to say, I assume those are the reasons why people buy these films. I mean, you had a, you know, I just went and looked at the forums not that long ago, but like you had some people on that April fool's joke sitting there ready for some nfts baby oh no you've done research <laughs> <laughs> we're professional oh, man. what kind of podcast I was is like, this I was like, this 
I was like, this, this <laughs> fucking, this, this NFT, like these guys, these guys are ready to pay this much in Ethereum. Like that's insane, bro. Uh, but I mean, I guess like the, the, the super lesbian attack, man, I guess they're all ready for that. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I did a fake NFT project. Um, I try to find creative ways to keep my audience engaged in the community forums. And one of them recently was on April Fool's telling them I was releasing a massively expensive NFT project. I thought it was funny because a lot of social media people that I follow online are all obsessed with doing NFTs and you know you kind of do a major eye roll when everyone happens. So I thought it'd be really funny to do the most useless one as a porn director and get some people riled up. Not as many people got angry about it as I was hoping. Um, surprisingly, some people wanted to buy it, but I don't know that they worked out the math because they were like, I was offering them for like $15,000 or something. <laughs> hey, that's a bargain in the NFT world, man. So there you go. That's probably why it's like, oh, hell yeah, that's cheap. <laughs> Gobble that up. I mean, Lord bless anybody that blows that kind of money on an NFT project, but... Well, they're paying with fake money, so they're they're paying with <laughs> Ethereum, so it doesn't matter. Yes. Um. So you said you've been uh, directing uh, these movies for you know over a decade. Was it always this uh, genre? Were you doing other? Did you start in other kinds of porn? Is this the only kind of 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 movies you've ever made? Like like what's like a I guess an overview of the filmography for for you? I'll try to make this as short as possible, but. Yeah, because you know, this is a really long question. Um, answer to the question. Yeah. I I originally got into filmmaking when I was a kid. Um, I'm talking like five years old. Back then when, you know, it was harder to work out what I wanted to do and also not being informed about all the nuances of something like filmmaking. In my head, it was like there was a mix of like me writing stories in my head while also being convinced that I wanted to be an actor, like in an action film. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, I realized that I, you know, wanted to also make the soundtrack because the soundtrack made me feel a certain kind of way when I watched films. Um, but I remember when I was like eight years old, maybe, I found my parents' camcorder that they had stowed away somewhere. And of course, um, I pulled it out and started learning how to use it. So I would make... I wouldn't say short films as a child because I, I didn't have that kind of me mental cognition to, you know, of narrative when I was a kid. But, you know, I would do things like uh, create special effect shots on camcorders and do things where, you know, you would hold up like a Nerf gun at your friend, pull the trigger, and then they would explode into like a batch of clothing on film and... Um, <laughs> Okay. I even remember at one point I was a uh, I took two VHS players and I lined them up to each other and I would have one be kind of my reel where I'd play back footage and the other one I would have recording to make my cuts so that I could like splice my edit to be a tighter edit on one machine versus the other. Um, wow. So I was really into yeah. the idea of filmmaking as a kid. And then when I got into high school, um, I eventually, you know, got into music. I, I became a guitar player and wrote rock songs. So um, I had peers that would write music, and I started to direct really shitty music videos for my friends. Um, and then I think around the time that I was like 19, 20, I, you know, 
became pretty convinced I was going to try to make an adult film. I think I was 21 when I actually did it. I would have to work out the math by going back into history, but um, the first adult film I ever shot was the first narrative I've ever tried to shoot as an actual film. It was arguably a big di big disaster. Um, ironically, it gave me some kind of weird cult status in this underground superheroine content world that I live in now. Um, but that's mostly because at the time when I was 21, I was, you know, already, already well-versed in, uh, photography. Um, I had, you know, studied that, um, in high school and college and I recorded music. So I was somewhat decent at audio engineering and I had spent, you know, my childhood with a camcorder. Um, so it just all kind of came together and I, I shot a porn film and I think it stood out simply because of that informed background where I was able to make something cinematic. Um, and to finish a long answer, I'll just say this really quick. Um, one of the reasons this was possible was because around 20, 2008, um, Canon, the company, had just released this camera called the 5D Mark II. It was like the first full-frame camera that accidentally had a video feature. It was kind of like an afterthought for them to add this 1080p recording on it. So it's the first time ever that you could get like a full-frame sensor that could record video and use like professional cinema lenses on a camera body. Um, so I bought that camera. So when I made my first film, I was able to like fully utilize all the tools that I had learned in photography in the film. Um, and at the time when it came to porn being produced at the time, um, no one else was doing that. So my film stood out because it was probably, you know, one of the very few, not just fetish films, but porn films in general that probably were using this technology to film this kind of content. So visually it was very different than anything that existed at that time. So it, it sounds like you had a very solid foundation for everything except the porn. So like, was that, you've kind of already mentioned a little bit, but is that more of just like a touch and go thing and you just kind of learned on the fly in that regard? Because like I said, it sounded like everything else technical wise you were pretty sound on. So I just kind of walk us through, you know, just picking up the, I guess the tricks of the trade in the porn industry. Um, I think there's a, a bit of directing you learn how to do when you're a professional photographer. And at that time I had worked with plenty of models and photography. So I wasn't a stranger to kind of talking to people about what I wanted out of them in front of the camera. Um, I was a novice when it came to, um, you know, trying to string along a narrative film and, you know, how to like connect certain type of shots to have a certain type of narrative play out visually. Um, the first one I made though was kind of a disaster because I, I had gone in with the, the idea that I would storyboard the film. So I drew a bunch of storyboards, had a script, and when I showed up, um, the actress was relatively new to the business. Um, so she had, was a little wound up, so she drink before I had got there a healthy amount of wine um, so quickly I realized the script wasn't going to work because um, she she wasn't going to work be able to work through it 
So to some degree, it was going to have to be more of a gorilla feature of like, you know, kind of making it up as you go. And, um, and my fuck a gorilla or (laughs) (laughs) and my it's grad yeah and my my storyboards fell apart because um i figured out really quick that unless i had like a bible sized amount of storyboards that um when you when i shot them i like i I burned through them pretty fast um Mm. so then i just leaned on my natural ability as a photographer to find interesting shots to you know make something look great and visual storytelling and all that kind of stuff very cool i'll tell you what though it's uh one thing no one ever tells you is uh if you want to work in porn you better get used to having other guys come on your hands <laughs> is, that, is that something you get used to is that like uh a ke- like not a catchphrase, but like that just comes with the territory. Obviously, I guess Jesus. Yeah, it comes with the territory. One day it, it dawned. <laughs> one day it dawned on me to bring latex gloves to set, but there was a lot of years that that never occurred to me. Well, that, oh you guess. must not even wear the gloves because then you got to check for allergies and all this bullshit. Just go, yeah, just freehand it, man. Yeah. So yeah, it really sounds like you're just, you're being being silly, over, overprotective of it, but. Um, so I, I, I gotta, so like when you decide you're going to make like a, a porn, like how do you, is, did you already have like a network to acquire actors and actresses? Like, did you ask friends? Like, like, like how, how does that first one get assembled? Um, no, I, I didn't have a network. I had no clue how to do it. Um, to be honest, I struggled for years because when you're outside of the porn industry, you're outside of the porn industry. Um, my luck was that I had made a Craigslist post and there was like a good six to 12 months. I think that I got responses of like, you know, people that you wouldn't want to film with, um, people who, (laughs) I don't know, um, had alternative lifestyles, but they, you know, there was no good reason why you should pay them to be in your film. Um, but by some kind of luck, um, I ended up working with a couple, um, there was this couple and I'm not going to speak too generously about their story because I don't know how much of it's publicly available or not, but hundred percent understandable. Uh, but there was like a happenstance where a porn director actor, um, was visiting his family in Illinois and um, he had met this woman and when she asked him what he did for a living, he was very honest. And I guess it had been like a lifetime dream of hers to be a porn actress. So they were fast friends and then fast a couple. Um, and then before you know it, she was going to move back to Los Angeles to be a porn actress. Um, so during one of the times where they were here moving her life to California, they were looking for just some extra, you know, gig money on the side. And they saw my ad, they responded to it. And it was kind of like a do it now or don't do it. You know, there was like a limited window that I had available because they were going to be in town for X amount of, you know, time. And, um, and that benefited me greatly because he was a seasoned professional. So when I shot with them, um, there was a lot of things that I learned just vicariously through 
you know, kind of like when he did take charge on set, you know, kind of just following his lead. Um, but after the film was shot, you know, they were back off to California. I was like either just finishing college or I had just finished college. Um, I think I was still in college. Um, but I, I soon after wanted to make a follow-up or a sequel. Um, but finding anybody to do that kind of work, um, just was, was going nowhere. And uh, I was young. I didn't have the, the wherewithal of like how to travel to places like Los Angeles and, you know, work with an agency to work with their talent. I didn't have like a lot of credits under my name or a lot of references to like even have these agents give me the time of day. Um, so I kind of took a, I, I took a step away from it for a, a little bit of time. And when I came back to it, um, I started producing mostly fetish content and not pornography for the simple reason that porn actors are like in Florida and Los Angeles. So when it came to what I had available to me in Chicago, it was fetish actresses. Um, so I actually became really good friends with the, a fetish actress who's now retired. Her name was uh, Missy Rhodes. And we shot a film together. And um, we were fast friends. So whenever she needed someone to shoot her content for her, there was a, a you know, like a good three, four years, I think, that I would help her produce her own content occasionally. Um, so that kind of, you know, helped me work through like, I don't know, small stuff you would never even think of until you're doing it and just, you know, shooting the kind of content that her customers had required of her. Um, and I, once again, don't remember your question. <laughs> no, I, that, I was asking you how he kind of got into it and, yeah. you, and you gave us the full story. I, I guess to circle back a little bit, back to the part where there was cum on your hands. Yeah. Um, one time, so one time to are, be clear, three... Dude's cum on my hands. <laughs> I think you have all of us beat. <laughs> um, um, definitely. But definitely. You, you lapped us a few times there. But um, I, I guess what are some things on a, on a porn set that happen that you just, as normal brainless uh, porn consuming monkeys that we wouldn't think of? Uh, like, what are some like behind the scenes realities to making these things real? Um, I mean, some of them I could think offhand that are, I don't know, I wouldn't say surprising, but just like things that are normal disruptions on sets would be if an actress is on her period, um, you know, they put like sponges, like makeup sponges into themselves to absorb the blood so that it doesn't come out during filming, but that makes them also very dry. So lubrication becomes a problem when you're filming a scene like that, um, so in reality, it's like a very painful experience for the actor and actress, but, you know, you'd be none the wiser because there's no visible blood on set. Um, there's also just like the normalization of like just being, I don't know, nor like being used to nudity. You know, there's, I remember one time on set where I was talking to an actor that I regularly work with. His name's Nathan Bronson. And me and him are having a full-blown conversation about whatever it was and halfway through the conversation it dawned on me that 
the whole time we're talking, he's trying to keep himself erect for set. So he's, you know, jacking off in front of me <laughs> to keep himself hard for the next shot. Um, How's the weather, bro? Black, 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 black. <laughs> but I didn't, at some point, you don't register it anymore. It's like one of those things where you become so used to um, and so comfortable with, you know, nudity and sex with, you know, in situations where you're not involved um, that for me, I don't even register when somebody's masturbating in front of me. Most, like, it, it also kind of dawned on me recently because that show, um, that could Euphoria. That could be a good problem to fucking have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, recently dawned on me because I, I was watching that show, Euphoria, and there's this thing that I always see on Twitter where people are talking about how there's an obscene amount of dick in the show, Euphoria. And the reason I bring this up is because Every single time I see this mentioned in tweets, I'm always surprised because I don't remember seeing any dick in Euphoria, and I've watched that show like twice through already. <laughs> so desensitized, bro. You have dick blindness. I have dick blindness. So like when I read that, I'm just like, okay. I'm like, what scenes are there dicks? And then I'll have to like think really hard. Like there was that scene where that guy texted his dick, and it's on the phone screen. Um, but yeah, you don't. You just don't register certain things like that anymore because, you know, while everyone else is like, I don't know, got this very religious sentiment of like not being able to see penis, I'm very accustomed to cock. <laughs> accustomed to cock. Well said. Well said. That's our, our first t-shirt right there. <laughs> can, can we can make I... cock regular the other one? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Can I get yes. into an aspect of so there's something that we like to joke about all the time, Damien. That's um, we always apply uh, people's jobs to football, um, just be like normal jobs, like normal jobs to being an NFL player, and it's kind of hilarious because you know at the end of the day, it is their job to be an NFL player, making millions of dollars and living in a certain you know atmosphere and environment, but it's like super unrelatable to just working at fucking Starbucks. So I want to try to do that with what you do. So can you walk me through, like, I don't know, is there an HR? Like uh, what happens if someone gets sexually harassed or, you know, just like normal <laughs> work shit that could, ha you know, that happens at your job? I mean, there are some porn companies that are bigger than others, right? Like I am... Um, I am very underground to the sense that like, I am my own producer, director, I am the writer, I am everything when it comes to my films. Um, and then there's these other companies that are more well-oiled machines, right? There's an actual company and there's structure in that company. And, you know, they win awards every year at these porn award shows and they have tons of porn actresses throwing themselves at these companies, wanting to work with them and get into the award season and all those kind of things. Um, I, I don't know that there is any structure currently in porn that has a safety net for actresses when it comes to like human resources issues. There's been a lot of really? controversy on places like Twitter, um, where certain actresses will speak out about their experiences on set. Um, but a lot of times that doesn't go the way you think it would, you know, there's, um, there can be a very clicky attitude in porn. So, um, you see a lot of people defending people who have been accused online and it's complicated because, you know, I 
I don't have a horse in the race when it comes to allegations. You know, there's like a lot of, um, he said, she said, and, um, there's multiple different types of situations you see occur online when it comes to like people who are abusive to actresses, you know, whether it be like, you know, talent or directors themselves, um, and or agents, you know, who abuse their power when it comes to the talents that they have on, in the roster. Um, I do know that there are some underground email chains of like talent that report to one another about, you know, who's safe and who isn't in the business. Um, wow. Okay. But at the same time, there's plenty of actresses that seem to want to defend people who have been accused and will, you know, online harass people that make accusations. Um, I think how that translates for me is uh, simply that um, I do everything in my power to create a situation that feels safe. And um, and sometimes I don't know that you ultimately know whether or not it's perceived that way. You know, I the kind of films I make have like simulated combat scenes and, um, well, you know, the majority of films I've produced have... Um, non-consensual content which is a very nice way of putting you know the term rape porn into a more digestible name um but i also have the mindset that like sometimes the people i'm working with might you know they may love what they do they may not love what they do they might be desperate for work so maybe they say yes to working with me although maybe the content isn't something they're comfortable with you know there's certain people who have a history when it comes to, um, you know, being abused and or, you know, one thing or another. So I try to tell every person that I have ever worked with that if at any point, if they're uncomfortable on set to let me know. And I think, you know, as I've become more financially steady in the business, um, I now can also add a disclaimer that if for whatever reason we need to kill the shoot and, you know, everyone gets paid to go home and I ultimately don't have a sellable product that I have to be ready and willing to eat the cost of a production just to make sure that I keep everyone safe. There was a recent experience I had where, um, I tried to rehire somebody that I have worked with several times and, um, what I heard back from their agent kind of made it sound like they were um, not thrilled about the previous shoot that we had done. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it. I did reach out to the actress on my own to just basically check in with her of like, hey, did anything happen that you weren't cool with that I'm unaware of? Because I would like to make sure that like that never happens again on a set of mine and I just wanted to check in on her as a person, um, but she never responded back to me reaching out. So it's hard. You know, I think all I can really do is be in control of what I'm in control of. And that's like letting people know that they hold a kill switch on film so that if they are feeling not up to the task, that it's not going to affect them financially. And and, you know, also giving them a permission to be like, if anybody on the set makes you feel uncomfortable that isn't me, let me know so I can deal with it. Um, but I don't know. I think working with people can be complicated because sometimes there's certain personalities that don't get along. 
um, after the pandemic, I feel like burnout's a real thing on sets where some people just show up and they're not prepared to work, but you know, they're going to work because they want to work. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say any of this in the perspective that like horn's a dangerous place, but I think, um, it's just maybe not as regulated as like a, a another profession or a job. I wouldn't say that. I w- I've worked at plenty of places to say that I have seen more abusive workplaces outside of porn and I've worked in more abusive workplaces outside of porn than porn. Not, not surprised by that. Not surprised by mm-hmm. that. And the hard but, part about it, like you, you know, the hard part about it is that abusive experiences in an actual workforce when you're working for like a big name company a lot of times those kind of situations are the hierarchy of structure of power. They try to make it so that you can report to like a human resources department or what may have you. But the truth is human resources department and big companies protect the company. They don't protect the employee. And there's plenty of managers that if they're creative enough with how they handle HR situations can exploit their employees against, you know, their wishes and put them in very, degrading situations i think what makes porn unique is that i think the general public looks at pornography as a degrading experience so before you can even get to the point of talking about workplace safety the general opinion of a lot of people outside of porn is that porn is degrading and i feel like that sentiment leaks into porn where you know certain people in porn have that um have that kind of subconscious feeling about the work that they do, right? That even if they feel good about the work that they do, that ultimately there's a little bit of guilt in there. So you add an inherent, you know, negative feeling about the work you do before you show up on set, add occasional unsafe working conditions, and then it's a really great story for Nightline, right? Or some news article, but, um, you know, I've worked in corporate America now since I was like 16 years old I'm 35 now and I can't I can't mention one single place I've ever worked that I wouldn't consider abusive yep I um I mean both Pete and I have like management components to our jobs and we have to deal with people's and personalities and stuff and it's difficult and hard and no one uh has to let me videotape their taint and so I imagine you know just the normal human stuff is hard to manage. And then you have to throw all of this extra vulnerability and all this other sort of stuff on top of it. I imagine it can be very difficult to make sure, like you said, everyone feels safe and everything just cause it's, it is so naturally vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than being on a set where two people who um, are not into each other and don't like each other are in a scene where they have to pretend to like each other and fuck. Um, <laughs> it could be a nightmare yeah, that, that can't go well can it i mean it doesn't go well <laughs> um if they're good actors they can keep that from the public um but you know it happens yeah so you know, I, was ahead, watching, uh, I was watching something on on twitter the other day and it was just like uh, a blooper that you had posted like back in september or whatnot of like alina lopez like in a spider yeah. girl outfit just like fucking around <laughs> Yeah. And then it, well, who I think it was it was uh, who was it was it Nathan? Nathan was in that scene. Yeah, he was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just like he was just like, well, when you're ready to take this seriously, he's like, I'm going home. He's like, call me when you're ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
was, I was like, I was time like, is money, that, like, man. Time is money. I was like, I was watching that like thirty-eight second video. I was just like, man, these two are like, like, like they they're looking like they have a good time, like in full suits, like nothing. I was just like, that's funny as shit. Yeah, there's, there's, it could be cute moments, right, where people are having fun. I mean, especially with the kind of films I make, you know, I feel like the kind of films I make, you either watch it and you're traumatized or you watch it and laugh. Um, and I think a lot of times the people I work with, um, they, it, I think it's a sometimes a refreshing experience for them because it's very lighthearted in the fact that it's a comic book film, right? But, you know, maybe totally not lighthearted with the content, but that, you know, if you put an actress in a costume that makes them feel powerful, you know, they can have a lot of fun with that, you know, uh, while they're on set. Um, you know, Lena is um, just, I don't know, an outstanding performer and, you know, great professional. And, um, and I think there was just a lot of moments on set where, you know, we were all having a good time. So, so, um, I want to dive into the comic book side of this just, just real quick. Oh, what a, a lot of the probably hot boys and girls listening out there don't know, know about my, uh, yeah, creative history is I spent a couple of years doing like, uh, freelance comic book reviews and producing video content for websites and for myself and covering cons. And so I've, I, I I love me some some comic books. I still I don't read as much as I used to, but it's still very much part of my life. So what I so what I did uh, getting prepared for this is I kind of went back on my memory bank and I just pulled some stuff that I think is ripe for pornographic interpretation. So I want to kind of go through um, some comic book stuff. I'm uh, locked in, baby. Ba- let's go. Yeah, I'm yeah locked just in. bounce just bounce some shit off you, Damien. Here, okay, for sure. So. Back when I, back when I was doing this, like I only about sixty percent of my content was, was was Marvel and DC. Kind of my beat, I guess I would say, would be like larger independent stuff, uh, Top Cow, Image, uh, IDW, stuff like that. So let's let's go ahead and start there. The first thing I, I I came to mind was Invincible. I don't know if you're familiar with that series. It just got a cartoon adaptation on Amazon. It was something that Robert Kirkman, the guy who wrote Walking Dead, wrote for like 10 years. It's like 120 issues long. It's it's this big, sprawling superhero epic. It is also um, a highly, highly violent and highly, highly sexual book. Um, uh, spoiler alert for Invincible, if anyone plans on reading it. Uh, Hold on, let me take my headphones pl- off. Okay, I don't want you to spoil it. Um, uh, one of the major plot points in that series is uh, based around a female-on-male rape and the fallout from that. Um, and there is also a lot of uh, themes of subjugation and power in the, in that book. I, I would highly recommend just reading it because it's just really fucking good. And then also I think there's a lot of themes that I think you could potentially mind. I don't know how much time... Or how profitable it is for you to spend time outside of Marvel and DC, but um, th- th- that's definitely something I think is is, is ripe for uh, a- a- adaptation into your kind of films. Um, the, the next one is Sex is is a book called literally called Sex Criminals. It's written by Matt Fraction, who is the guy who wrote the Hawkeye run that the Disney Plus show is based off of. So gotcha. the guy has some range. Yeah. Um, and it's literally about people who have sexual superpowers. Um, the main characters, every time they orgasm, they can freeze time. 
Um, but there's a whole bunch of different things. So there's definitely a lot there. And it's also just, a, it's, again, a super good book. Uh, and lastly, in the independent space, Saga, again, a great book. But it is uh, a book that I would argue is entirely based around sexual taboos. The like uh, single big uh, plot point of the entire series um, is, I guess, an allegory for a mixed race romance. And it also deals with, like, um, you know, Trans, transsexual relationships and, and polyamory and there's an entire subplot about abortion like it's just, it's just a very a very weird sex forward book and it's also very popular right now so I highly recommend checking that out and then anything written by uh, Garthinus who um, wrote The Boys and Preacher and stuff which are um, not terribly responsible in the way they show sex it's mostly in that 90s way we're like ew isn't sex gross look at this gross thing i wrote um but it it, it definitely has that at the at the forefront of those stories um i mean reacting to the first thing you said um, i am familiar with invincible yeah. um mm-hmm. mostly because i watched the season one of the cartoon i i haven't read the comics mm-hmm. and i probably won't um i mean it's a great series it's <laughs> Yeah. extremely violent i mean the season closer on that with the train scene i think is one of the most violent things i've seen in recent history um i mean <laughs> um i i really adore that uh the female character i can't remember her name currently with that purple colored outfit um, the, the adam eve i believe yeah yeah i think she would yeah. m- be great for you know uh, a fetish porn crossover um, but in the, in the respect of extremely violent comic books to adapt, I feel like The Boys leans maybe a little bit closer to like having a good crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, and simultaneously, that's, that's um, I don't know, it's complicated because The Boys almost is the kind of content I make. It's like it, it, it grazes so close to it that like the biggest exception is that they're... There, if it is, that it doesn't have a porn scene. I know that season two is arguably going to have a lot of sexual content. I believe there's like this infamous orgy scene that happens in the comic books that's going to make its way to the television mm-hmm. show. Um, I adore the actress from that show as well that plays the main lead character or one of the main lead characters. I think she's great. Beautiful actress, cool character. Um, and yet, I, I find it complicated because... You know, one of the, the themes of the, her story in the show itself is, like, sexual assault. And I don't know that I want to, like, double lean into that. It's like, if you have... If, you, if, if you're adapting, like, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, you know, her show's kinky, but, you know, she's not a, a victim of sexual assaults. So when you make a porn film about it, you know, a fetish porn film like mine you could definitely lean into that aspect. Um, but a show like The Boys, which is extremely violent, and you have one of the main character storylines being that they were sexually assaulted, um, it almost kind of feels wrong to like lean double lean into that narrative because mm-hmm. um, that narrative is kind of already established, and then it's almost like I, I'm just creating a remake, and it's not really like I'm putting my own spin on it. Um Here's the twist. Here's the twist. Now she's secretly into it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of people that there's a lot of people that buy my content that would agree with you. That they would love to see that. Um, 
But another thing you mentioned, the second I don't I don't love yeah, it. The second thing you mentioned, the recommendation about um the Hawkeye writer, um Yeah. Matt the uh, Matt Fraction sex criminals one. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I feel like that's like one of those things where like I it's either an all or nothing thing. I, I would never make a regular release schedule out of content that le- leans into um superheroes with sex powers. You know, like Orgasmo from okay. the South Park creators or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> simply because um, my what's always appealed to me my whole life it hasn't been the pornography of superheroes. It's been the um, it's been the actualization of superheroes, right? That like I I want someone yep. like you know Linda Carter to be in a scene that goes too far, as opposed to like a character who's just like you know dresses provocatively and orgasms for a superpower that to me kind of like would be more like um something fun for people who consume normal porn to like enjoy oh i see what you're saying yeah so it's kind of more like yeah you know you you like porn and this one's fun or something um okay i've seen a couple people who do like comedy porn and i'm really not into that um, <laughs> yeah, that, that crosses a lot of wires there. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I know what you mean. I'm not into that either. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. If it's done well, I can see it working. Um, but for the most part, I feel like it's just corny, and that's not what I'm interested in. Um, okay. But I do love the Hawkeye series that was, you know, adapted recently for Disney Plus, and I'm conflicted about that too because. I think Haley Steinfeld, the actress, um, I think she's a great actress. I think she's a great singer. I respect her and her career because I've, you know, seen her grow up on television for the last 10 years. Um, so it kind of, I kind of have a moral objection to like taking one of her roles and making a porn parody out of it because it'd be a violent one. And if it ever got on her radar about what I made, I would feel horrible about it. Because I feel like she'd be utterly petrified by the idea that there's some creep out there wanting to make a rape porn on a character based on her depiction of said character. Um, so that's complicated. Like if I if I ever read an article where I found out she was like into weird kink shit, I'd be like, "Yeah, cool. Maybe she'd like it. Let's do it." <laughs> but <laughs> and I. I'm saying this all with the perspective that I am not opposed to adapting that character, but I, I find a lot of like, I would be making a lot of excuses about why I wouldn't do it. Um, okay. And the third thing you mentioned was, um, saga, the saga, um, remind me again. Uh, it is a sci-fi. It, it, I did a, a bad job of describing it because it's a very weird, hard thing to describe. But it is a like sci-fi epic thing, and um, it a lot of the plot revolves around like various sexual taboos. Um, the the main plot is two warring species, is like a Romeo and Juliet situation. 
um, where they have a kid together, and it sounds corny, and it is played a lot more in the vein of what it was like to be in a mixed race relationship in the fifties. It's not as, as it's not very, very not a fairy tale book. It's a very like real in your face sort of story. And then there's just a lot of it. First off, everyone should just read sagas because sagas fucking great. But like, um, it, 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 it's definitely a very, it is a story that is not afraid of sexual taboos. And it uses a lot of, it reveals a lot about the characters through those. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting thing. Um, real quick, I'll, I'll run through a couple of the ones I had for the actual the, the, the big comic books. One obvious one is Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix, the the original Chris Claremont run, was very very fucking horny. It was like an incredibly horny story because it was all of that Hellfire Club, and it's like, oh, Jean's this nice girl, and then she has this mystical awakening from an evil space bird and now she's fucking horny and, and and she's and she's wearing all this leather shit and her hair's up now and like it's you know it's it, it's um it's very different and it's the original claremont story like the, every time like when i watch the 90s cartoons of the dark phoenix like that part was not in it that i remember i feel like i'd remember that um but like so it gets like weirdly washed away every time it gets interpreted like that part of it so i think that part is very interesting and when we were on the call the other night you and i talked about a very strange obscure miss marvel yeah um, storyline yeah yeah, that uh to sort of summarize this fucking weird knot it basically it was like back again this is another chris claremont thing i think where when you did female-focused stories, the two things you only ever used to be able to do was they got married or they got pregnant. So, you know, Miss Marvel is pregnant now, and we don't know who the dad is. Well, it turns out a bunch of comic book bullshit happened, and she got her brain controlled by the son of uh, Amortis, which, oh, I, I'm not going to explain Amortis because we'll be here all night. But um, basically, he got trapped in limbo, and he brainwashed her into thinking she was in some sort of like high fantasy romance, and then they became lovers. And he impregnated her with himself. And then Jesus and then was she born. Had, and then she had to give birth to him, and he aged up. So she gave birth to her own rapist, and then they left and were a couple after that. And that's that's that story. And I believe also that the um, was it the that um the that the um, Avengers gave her back to him. Wasn't that a part of the storyline? Yeah, the part of it, the part of it that I think Chris Claremont went back and sort of like commented on in his later runs was like, "Hey, you guys didn't think of maybe doing anything about that? Like, you just kind of let me run away with them? Like, this is fucking romantic when it was like horribly disgusting the whole time." Yeah, I remember there being something um, weird where the yeah. Avengers like were like, "Oh, be happy with him," and they like gift her back to her predator or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep that was a that was a big part of it. Um. Yeah. I mean. There's a lot of strange comic books out there that have some um, very hornball stuff that uh, would be really demented for any porn project, I think. The the other one I can think of that definitely falls into that is The Killing Joke. Because um, the initial Alan Moore written Killing Joke is very ambiguous about a lot of things. Um and it's sort of insinuated that when Barbara Gordon is shot, that she's also assaulted. Um, I mean, fun fact: well, I'm actually spe- I'm actually yeah. doing an adaptation of the Killing Joke. Oh man! 
Beat you to it, buddy. You he beat you to there it. There you go. Um, Dude, they're on the same break. Can I, can I get a producer credit on that? <laughs> sure. Like, something like that? Um, okay. Yeah, I, I've been working on an adaptation of The Killing Joke. I'm obviously not going to be able to recreate that story in the way that it's told. Um, and it's complicated because I'm not doing a film about Batman. So if you substitute Batgirl for Batman in that story, there's certain bolts that kind of come loose with the narrative. Like, you know, the fact that Barbara Gordon is shot through the spine and paralyzed. And I can't have that happen in Act 1 if I expect her to be, you know, having a main showdown with the Joker in Act 3. Um, but it's complicated because um, I actually intended for this project to be one of the biggest films I've ever made. Like the highest budget that I've ever produced. And um, I've actually been doing the pre-production on it for almost a year um oh, wow. i've assembled um multiple costumes where i have really elaborate outfits for the villains um i've made three to four costumes of Batgirl's outfit so that i could destroy the hell out of it but be able to carry on a narrative where her breasts aren't sticking out the whole time um i've been working looking into and working with somebody to do prosthetics for having the joker actualize in a way that doesn't look corny but instead looks more like something from hell um huh. and um some of the female characters in the narrative that i planned on being there i've also had to acquire and or make costumes for them but it's been kind of a production nightmare because it's going to require a very big cast and um, I've already had one of the main actresses that was going to be a part of the project um, basically uh, decide that she didn't want to be a part of it anymore after a costume was already made for her, after she already had expressed interest in being part of the project. And it's hard to substitute certain characters too because um, I don't think most porn actresses would be up for a scene where they get shot through the spine and paralyzed. Um because of, you know, the storyline's <laughs> ultra-violent and very dark. Um, <laughs> That's the movie I want to see, I think. Um, <laughs> but it, it... I've also rubbed some fans a, a little bit. Yeah, I've also ruffled some feathers with my audience because um, I recently was going to go to Los Angeles to film a couple, for a couple days this project. And sure enough, like a week before I was going to leave, um, I had, you know, people get sick with COVID and or people with fatigue basically say they just weren't up for filming that week. And, um, I think I'm quickly working myself into a bit of, um, uh, a nightmare production trap where, um, wanting to have a cast as big as I want to, um, might become very tricky when you're working through something like the pandemic. It's like either all your ducks line up and it's perfect, or I'm going to have to do creative rewrites on set when somebody doesn't show up. Um, it's the biggest project I'm going to work on this year. And, um, and I'm also going to try to do my best job to make it a parody so that I can't be sued. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be in the vein of something like the Killing Joke, but it's it's not gonna be the Killing Joke. Um, 
I, I mean, is that something you really have to worry about? I mean, you're using a lot of intellectual property, like it, 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 just in general. Like, it, like, do can you get away with that just because you're kind of under the radar, or is there like a parody clause in in what in the sort of stuff you're making? Or I mean, there's a parody clause if you abide by the rules of parody, which I think um, becomes a question of like whether or not you could survive in a courtroom and describe the kind of work you make as parody. I think there's also this weird gray line. Um, you know, recently, um, George Perez passed away. Um, mm -hmm. And granted, he's like a godfather in the comic book industry. He was also a regular consumer of the kind of content that my genre makes, um, as well as somebody who befriended and became friends with a lot of fetish models and um, porn actresses who work in the kind of work that I make. Um, so I believe that there is a underground belly to people who work in that industry who consume the content I make. Um, suspiciously, I feel like there's also been a backwards channel of like things that we make, maybe inspiring certain things that happen in major productions. Um, because if you, you know, if you Google like, you know, Wonder Woman costume, depending on the year that you do it, um, you know, there, a lot of times the fetish films, images will come up and, you know, when they're doing pre-production on something like, let's say, Wonder Woman, right? When they made the live ad um, adaption of her again, you know, she came out with this like fully based armored look. Um, and uh, I would be remiss to think that like there wasn't certain things happening in the genre at that time that might have inspired somewhat parts of her look um interesting i i think that i don't think there's a single person working in uh the superheroine genre that can that can survive a lawsuit by a company like marvel or dc um so I don't know. I think we're really underground and small enough that I don't know that we are rattling any cages for any big industry folk. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always kind of there, right? That like at any point this business can collapse. Um, so I don't know. You hope and pray um, that you get away with parody law. But. You always got the NFTs to fall back on, man. So you, so you, so you're good. I could always just be a cameraman in normal porn, I suppose. <laughs> all right, can we get off the so, superhero thing? You guys could talk all fucking day, you nerds, about this. Shit, oh my man. god, I felt so Let, good to talk about comic books. I, I, I need to get back to the porn, man. Let's just focus. Okay, let's just okay. focus on that. So yeah. I got a a generalized question uh, in regards to, I guess, um, requirements. Um, is it kind of like as far as like the hiring process or, or who you personally or the 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 field in general takes on um, as far as you know hiring talent? Is there like a requirement of kind of like how Hooters is like you don't show up to Hooters with your shirt being perpendicular to the floor and like can have an application? Now they're just gonna be like, no, thank you. Like, is there is there certain you know thresholds that um, uh, a male actor would have to meet, either like physique wise or uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, schlong size? 
Um, I, I can mostly speak for my, myself in the sense that like, I, I don't know what big companies look for. You know, I, okay. I've never worked in a big porn company or agency. Um, what I can say is there's general things that I've picked up on, right. Which is like a male performer in porn films. Um, you have to be able to control your orgasm, right. That like you, it's almost like you have to pop on request where, um, if I need the scene to go 20 to 30 minutes, whether or not you can withhold, you know, your heart on for that long. And if I need a pop shot on the actress's face that, you know, you don't accidentally pre ejaculate at like the 20 minute mark or something of that nature. So a lot of these guys can, they can pop when asked, you know, they call it a pop shot, right? They can pop when you ask them to, they can sustain an, an erection for a long period of time including like a five minute conversation between takes where they're talking to some dudes and maintaining their erection. Um, now that's a real superpower. These people are real superheroes. Cox eyes. I, I feel like, um, it, it depends on your body type. you right. But like, I think I, 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 it's hard. For, I know that there's probably a genre of porn where people like small penises. Um, but I would say the general porn consumption, I think, wants the penis size at least to look big for the physique, which would be like, if you're a really skinny guy, it's a lot easier for your dick to stand out. Right. Mm. And if yeah. you're a little bit more stocky and heavy set, um, a normal penis isn't going to cut it. Um, I would imagine like eight inches being like the standard cock size in porn. Um, you know, anything smaller than that, it's kind of like, I, you just have to be, you know, all muscle, no fat, and to, you know, for it to look good. And anything bigger than that, I guess it becomes more of a question about whether or not an actress can handle it. Um, when it comes to my decisions to cast, I feel like I like to figure out who I want to work with, and then sometimes ask them for referrals. Like, if I want to work with a certain actress, I can ask her, hey, if you had a top three list of who you'd be comfortable starting in a non-consensual film with, who would it be? And then, you know, reaching out to some of those actors to see whether or not they'd be comfortable making the content that I make. Um, and I think that's mostly because I, I hope for and I seek positive vibes on my set because I feel like the kind of content I make requires good vibes on set. You know, you, you need people to work with each other who like each other otherwise it can quickly feel like a punishing experience um also for the kind of content i make it's a little bit more complicated because there are you know choreographed fight scenes and stuff so not everybody knows how to throw a fake punch you know there's plenty of people that just can't look realistic in depicting a fake punch let alone whether or not they can safely throw a fake punch you know there's sometimes that people who get a little bit overexcited and Mr. Mark and, you know, you, you, I've never had it happen, but I've seen, um, situations on other people's sets where I've seen, you know, people pop up with black eyes because the scene wasn't rehearsed and somebody gets punched in the head or something. Um, but I don't know. It's, I think, you know, like if you're asking like, Hey, if there was like somebody listening who like wants to get into porn and how would they do it? Um, I mean, the easiest way now is OnlyFans, right? Like, if you have your own OnlyFans account where you, you know, for a dude that can literally just be, a, you know, him producing content where he's masturbating by himself. And then 
eventually working with maybe somebody else who is also warming up in the industry and and if you can do a collaboration with another actor or actress um then it kind of becomes just like a reputation by by good recommendations right like if you work with 10 actresses slowly over time and all of them have good things to say about you then you can quickly become a recommend recommended actor to be brought in last minute on a set or something of that nature um but i think the biggest thing is whether or not you can just show up to any set and be into it you know like if you're working in porn like you might be filming like a superhero film one day and the next day you might be doing like stepbrother stepsister and the next day you might be having sex with a milf and i guess the question is like if you're a male performer can you ejaculate on call and can you do that with any genre and mm. would you have an issue maintaining an erection with any actress and interesting you know those become complicated questions especially because there was this like netflix documentary that was made um a couple years ago about porn where they showcased the fact that you know certain male performers use you know chemical substances to perform better things like you know viagra etc stuff like that and so that is that is a common thing like i mean it happens in the nfl too man you know people juice to performance enhancer. performance enhancer man so is that is that um a common I thing mean, that happens according to the netflix documentary it is and apparently there's a lot of men in porn who eventually can't even maintain proper erections in their own private life because they fuck themselves up so much with chemical enhancements and things of that nature um i can say that i've definitely maybe worked with a handful of performers who have done things like viagra but the truth is and i don't know if a lot of people know this but if you if you don't have erectile dysfunction and you take viagra the only thing it does for you is it decreases the amount of time between um between ejaculations where like your refraction period becomes smaller but it technically doesn't really enhance your um, your actual hard-on experience that much. Um, because if you're a healthy male with no issues with erection, you know, Viagra is only really going to make you be able to ejaculate more. It's not going to make you necessarily last longer. Fun fact about Viagra. Very interesting. Uh, good to know. So since we're, since we're on the topic of casting... Um, Pete, do you have something that you want to talk to Damien about? Oh no, he already knows, man. I told you. I said you can call me up whenever you need. I'm like, I'm here. You get in a pinch. <laughs> you, you need a mail standby. I'm there. I'm there tomorrow. Can, can I request you, you just the superhero about... that you get to play? Can I, if if this happens, I can I get to pick the superhero? Do. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Condiment man. <laughs> but I, you you were just saying you're having a hard time, you know, getting that that movies. Uh, you know, staffed up. I mean, Pizza's a reliable guy, as I know, man. Like, you can count on him. You say, camera's rolling, that dude's dick's out and ready to go, man. In there like swimwear, <laughs> baby. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I could always take measurements and have a backup outfit ready to go for him. And, and plus, you might be hitting a new genre with Pete, like the more um, southern hillbilly uh, fetish in regards to, you know, his his appearance. Um, nah, the yeah, whole toothless nah. persona. Nope, nope. He, that, he, that he shit's can, he getting fit a nipple, right? This coming week, <laughs> yeah, right, baby. Right, right, right that there. shit is getting fixed this coming week. No more. 
Well, then ne- <laughs> never. Eighteen months in the making. It sounds like you're on another time crunch, Damien. Making. You better hurry up before. Uh, yeah, yeah, you better hurry up before cl- he gets his closing captain. window. So, yeah. <laughs> so Damien, you've been fucking awesome talking to man. But um, yeah, I do want to, because I mean, at the end of the day, we are a football podcast. I think that's what people mm-hmm. tell us. Um, so I did allegedly. I did want to play a game with you. Um, and basically, the game is called. And is the quote a football term or is it a porn term? And these are direct quotes. And everyone else, shut the hell up. I want Damien to play the game. So basically, I will read you a quote, and you will either state football or porn. Okay, All pretty right. simple. Sounds right? good. Sounds okay, so we'll we'll start with a fucking a, just an easy one, man. Like a, a no brainer, man. He really sucked in the D. I'm gonna say it's a football term. All right, man. Very nice. That's one for one. That is Woo! that is that is talking about um, uh, the defense. Uh, short D. All right, on to the ne- <laughs> on to the next one. I gotta pull you out because of your limp noodle. I mean, that also sounds like a football. Quote. Jesus Christ, man! What, I thought you didn't watch football. <laughs> yeah, you watch football, man. Two I don't for two. watch football. I don't watch uh, football. Limp noodle can refer to a weak throwing arm. That's kind of what I figured. I, I, b- right. Brief tangent before we go on the next one. I, I, I want to say that the the metaphors for strong throwing arms and penises have a surprising amount of overlap. Uh, noodle hose. Canon, yeah. I feel like when it so comes, I feel like that. when it comes to men, I think um, you know explanations of anything usually revolve around their cock somehow. That's fair. You know? That's fair. Yeah, and, and true. So speaking of cock, um, on to the next quote. What a hose on that guy. <laughs> um. I'm. I'm just gonna say porn. Nope. Also football. Also football. Yeah. Also football. Yeah. Ho- ho- hose is the exact opposite of the um, previous quote. A hose is a strong arm. Um, one, right. one, one, one who can sling the football with great velocity. I just I figured it might have something well, to do with. Uh, I just feel it might have to do with pee pornography. You know, where you piss on somebody. Oh yeah, that does make golden sense. Showers. Golden yeah. showers. Yeah, yeah. Golden it showers. It was a bit of a. Tri- it, it was a bit of a it's tricky like a one. Fire hose. I can't. I can't make them all easy, Damien. Come on now. But they get harder as they go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, they definitely do. So I got two more, and they're gonna get. All right. All right. So Let's here's go for it. the next one's a little a little long winded, but I got to read it because it's a quote, so I have to read it um, verbatim. They can't stop our passing attack. Let's just stay in the trips formation. I mean, that's got to be football. Uh, no, see, trick question. It's actually porn from the porn parody Gridiron Gang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue what that is. That was sneaky. <laughs> so Gridiron Gang is a movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, very, very popular football movie. And then obviously Gridiron Gang Bang is the porn parody of that. Gotcha. So Sorry, it's just, kind of football. Just Dwayne's Johnson. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> Listen, I gave you the other two. You got those right. I can't give them all to you. All right, on, on to the last, last one. one. This is probably going to be the hardest one, so strap in. Oh, yeah, strap on. Oh, yeah. F my little hole, daddy. Show me what you got, you big N. <laughs> I'm just going to go. I'm just, just going to say football. 
yeah, you got it right, man. That's what a certain <laughs> that's what a certain Pittsburgh quarterback said to a African American <laughs> defensive lineman that plays for the Cleveland Browns before he almost fucking knocked his fucking Murder, head yeah. off with a helmet. Good call, man. And I'm sounds starting about, to sounds about right. That is wow, dude. You went three for three, I think, on the football. You got most of the football ones right, man. So Ironically. awesome work, dude. You're officially qualified to be on this podcast. You know more about football than we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just seen a lot of men's balls, you know. <laughs> but to, to catch you up on that last one, Damien, um, that, that's one of our favorite. Um, it's it's non football football things that's happened in the last like two three years. Um, essentially, uh, a one pl- this happened on the field during the game. One one player got into it with another player, and one player significantly larger and just more of a man than the other one. And but a hundred pounds of muscle. He took his yeah. helmet off and swung it at the guy and missed his head by like what three inches maybe. Inches. And if you mm-hmm. if you would have yeah. made contact with him, he probably would have killed the guy on impact, and it would have been one of the greatest scenes in in American television history. It, it is not functionally different than hitting him with a cinder block. <laughs> like hitting someone with a helmet is about the same as just throwing a brick at someone. So, <laughs> they, so the, he would have killed the him. guy. Got suspended for the rest of the season, and yeah, he, like he got in big trouble for it, obviously. Grant, and he yeah. allegedly did it because the N word came out. Yes, that was, that was that's the, why he said he did quote. it is because he said the other guy called him the N word. So you know, yeah. Grant said, "I'm yes, surprised I didn't hear about this, but that sounds like uh, it would be pretty big news." Mm-hmm. It was it was decent sized news, but again, it, it was kind of a it was in a hot time too, where once the N word got allegedly involved, it became kind of a. It became a flash. It wasn't funny anymore for a lot of people, obviously. So, yeah, the news didn't really want to harp on it too much, I would imagine. Yeah, I can see that. Because <laughs> one guy should have been in the grave and the other guy should have been in jail. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> if you do that anywhere except the football field, you go to jail. <laughs> like, if, I was, if you were on the street and I hit you with the football helmet, I would go to jail. <laughs> yeah, unless, unless you're a comedian, then everyone would debate whether or not the comedian had it coming. That's, that's, that's true. That <laughs> seems true. to be the te- current temperature of the water. But uh, thanks for playing my game, Damien. That was uh, well done by you, man. Good job. Of course. I'm glad you took the time to make the game. Oh, no problem. Any time. Literally any time. Again, professionals. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a professional podcast. It is. Hell yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a chance... Uh, Damien to throw a plug out there like where can people find you what do you want them to know about you throw it up um Dave, David has asked me multiple times to be ready for this moment but I'll, I'll add this condition to the X amount of viewers you have listening to the show um if you are not into non-consensual rape pornography do not seek it out <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like there's certain things you don't come back from, and if that manages to give you a tingle in your dick, um, you know, there might not be any going back to, like, normal consumption things, and take it from... Why's it gotta be a dick, bro? Take it from somebody who knows it, right? If I could get off to swimsuit magazines, I think I'd be a lot, you know, more functional in my life. Um, (laughs) so, um... If for whatever reason that is your bag, you know, you're into chicks and costumes and you're into power dynamics and sex films, um, I would say just Google super heroin porn 
and you will find a diversity of things amongst it, probably me. I would not recommend you seek me out directly. You know, if you're my kind, you will find me. Um, I have a moral objection to online, uh, onlining new people into the things that I make, um, because they are very taboo. Um, but if that's your bag, you like it, you know, we're a Google search away and you'll find us. Well, is, is, is there a, 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 do you operate under like a, like a studio name or something? Is there a branding that people will recognize with this? They know when they find your stuff or. Um, my branding is S H L. Um, my, you know, director name is Damien Woods. Um, but if I was going to really say anything to your audience, I would say um, be comfortable with the concept of paying for your porn. I think paying you know, certain actresses directly on services like OnlyFans is really important because there's not as much money in porn as you think there is. And behind any one of these performers is a real person who has limited job options because they've pursued a life in pornography. You know, we all put a lot of time, effort, resources into the things that we make and believe it or not uh, a pussy can only get fucked so many times a week before you know you can have burnout and mental issues from said experiences um and if the idea of paying for your pornography is offensive to you um then i think you need a perspective reset and check not everything should be free on streaming services uh you know i know that the multimedia world that we live in has made us very made it very normalized to get your music for almost pennies on the dollar and there's plenty of people on youtube that make podcasts and our shows that are paid for by advertisements that you listen to for dick pills you know really skinny wallets and the like um but there's nobody i know in porn from my time in porn who is bulletproof to the fact that um, when somebody leaks your shit online, it can dramatically affect your fin finances. And, you know, month to month, everyone still pays rent and shit. So, I don't know. If you like porn, if you consume it regularly, fucking pay for that shit. Enlightening, man. That, that, yeah, that yeah. changed my uh, way yeah. of thinking. Very interesting. Uh, is there a Twitter people can follow you at? <laughs> um sure they can find me i'm not gonna advertise that shit okay all right fair enough yep, yep. fair enough uh any of you hot boys got anything else for damien no man just thank you for your time damien thanks for answering all the questions man that was a fun journey mm -hmm. yeah thank you guys for having me on i i i caught wind of the fact that somehow my film got in circulation and some people watched it and talked about it on this podcast and it was a very we did. We did. It was a very strange experience hearing a podcast talk about, you know, consuming something I made and the reactions to it. So that was, you know, interesting. <laughs> by circulation, you mean by watching it on a phone in this basement? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we were in the kitchen for the yeah. Record. Oh yeah, but, <laughs> you're, right, you're, right, you're right. It was the kitchen. <laughs> Something like a group of guys just watching porn on a phone together. Hey. No, the best part was we were all huddled around the phone while all of our wives were watching us watch porn <laughs> in the corner together. <laughs> it sounds about right. You guys, you guys were like a hairline away from.
touching three dudes come at the same time. Small steps. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's our origin story. It's always, it's always a lot closer than you think it is. Every Marvel movie is a dick away from being porn, and every watching porns away uh, with your buddies is one step away from getting cum on your hands. <laughs> so there you go. I'd agree. <laughs> All right. Well, all you hot boys and girls out there, thank you for joining us. And a special thank you for Damien for coming on. Uh, And until next week, stay hot there, boys and girls. And go read Saga. Peace. Later. Later. God, I feel like we should just go with Cock Wrangler, though. Yeah, Cock Wranglers, you know, it makes it sound athletic. um, Is really what it does. Like, Like, you need, like, good measurables in order to do that. Cause, Cause, cocks are wily, man. They'll, they'll get around, man. You gotta like, box them out. Yeah. Squirrely is what they are. It's squirrely. You gotta get a like a net and a long stick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we got that, um, 